Hello. You are listening to the Carol Connection with your host, Jared Carol. Hey everybody, welcome to The Carol Connection. I am your host, Jared Carroll, here to bring you guys another great episode. I did want to take a chance to shout out my last week's episode, episode 165, the 2023 Year in Review episode with Andrew Brown. Came on the podcast, we talked a lot about uh, what happened throughout the year for us, some of our uh, relationship struggles and successes, and we talked about, specifically for him, some of the stuff with coaching going from high school to women's professional to the collegiate level and what that's been like. And then we talked a lot about the stuff that we want to achieve and accomplish in 2024. And I thought it was a really great episode to recap 2023. So if you guys can go check that out at the carolconnection.simplecast.com. Also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the major listening platforms. If you'd like to watch your podcast, go on YouTube, search The Carol Connection, or at Jared M. Carroll, and it should pop up right for you. And if you want to be a guest or return as a guest, hit me up on Instagram, at Jared M. Carroll, or at the Carroll Connection, and we'll set that up. So, brings me to today. So, this is kind of like the first official episode that will be released in 2024. Awesome. Aside from the 2023 year in view, but that's kind of like a review, obviously. So, happy to do this. Happy to do this with my guest here for episode 166, Nick Lancelotti. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Excited to do this, and I was excited when I reached out that you were very willing to do this, and that obviously with the holidays, it kind of lined perfectly yep. to get you back, and you're back in the area, so it was everything aligned, and obviously with a lot of stuff we talked about, uh, spiritually, everything just aligned perfectly, and yes. the way we've been able to connect, and we could have talked for another three hours before uh, yeah. we did this, and I was like, ah, oh, we got we to gotta get on the podcast and get some of this. years to catch up on, <laughs> Seriously. Um, so I'd like to kind of start off with a little quick uh, who you are and what you're doing currently. Sure. So right now, um, I'm working as a professional structural engineer in New York. Um, I work for a company down in FIDE. We do everything from, uh, you know, uh, big name hotels to residential to, um, you know, commercial. We work sometimes with uh, SCA, the School Construction Authority, doing schools, um, artists, some sculptures here and there. So we, we run the gambit for um, for types of, of work. Um and on the side, I did dance for a little bit in, in New York when I first moved there. That's kind of been cast by the wayside after COVID. Um, but right now, I'm uh, in addition to doing that work, I'm I'm part of a uh, a group within our company where we focus on low income housing. It's called the Build, Building Equity Initiative (BEI). Um, uh, low income housing and, and and any other types of, of projects that are you know focus on giving back to the community and, and promoting that sense of um, community. So. Uh, and now kind of a side project, which I can get into later is, uh, working on some activism work with a friend of mine in DC, um, in preparation for what will be a very interesting, uh, presidential election is, uh, as we can all, <laughs> so we can all tell. So a lot of stuff happening and, uh, yeah, just, just ready to, to take on the new year. Yeah, and we'll we'll dive into a lot of that stuff too as we progress with the podcast and progress with your life story. And I think it'll be really great to add that that piece in, especially yep. starting twenty twenty four, and seeing what's what's to come. We all can feel it; it's all there; it's all in the news. We all know um, between just the economy and just like the way the world is currently with a lot of these wars and mm-hmm. our own uh, presidential presidential um, 
election that's coming up. It's there's a lot of emotions that are going to be very heightened around this time of the year. So I think it'll be a, a good discussion to have some of these topics, especially yeah. with the stuff that you're working on. Yeah. So I like to kind of open the podcast though, talking about family dynamic. And for you guys, if you guys are listening or watching, you guys know I like to always do my little cliche of why I do family dynamic. And I always reference kind of like when we're building a house, the foundation, the foundational pieces is, yeah, yeah, this is works perfect. So when I think of how we start our lives, a lot of that derives from our family, derives from our childhood and where this stuff really stems from. So I think it's always important to at least acknowledge it and talk about it and kind of what it was like for for you because I always think it's important for me as a host to kind of get a feel for how someone grew up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I know you, so I know some of the stuff, but there might be stuff that I don't know. So I yeah. think it's always important to ask this question. So it's whatever you're comfortable with sharing, I'll let you talk about your family dynamic. Yeah, so I, uh, as you know, and, and many many people who know me know, um, I grew up with two educators, two uh, parents as teachers. Uh, my mom teaches first grade um, or has taught every grade in elementary school except for third. And my dad teaches uh, business and financial planning at uh, at a high school. So I've, I've grown up with uh, this kind of instilled love of learning and, and you know, reading uh, different books and just learning so as much as I possibly could, just being a sponge. Um, and that was very actively encouraged, uh, you know, the academic side, but also my dad was very big at pushing, like learning through athletics and learning team building and, and that kind of camaraderie um, and how to, how to work together as a team. Like it's one thing to, you know, to, to be intelligent and to work on your own. It's another thing to then use that in, in a group and, and lean on each other's strengths and, and fill in for other people's weaknesses. So that's a very valuable, valuable thing that um, I had been brought up with. And then, uh, yeah. And then my, uh, the biggest thing I think going through, my past was, um, you know, just sixth grade or so starting to understand like, mm, I'm not like other people. Um, I had gravitating towards, um, you know, certain feelings that I had and, you know, just all just leading up into me discovering like, yeah, I'm gay. Like, great. Um, what do I do with this now? So, um, the growing up, it was very, I felt split a little bit between two different worlds. We grew up Catholic as well. And that's been a whole kind of progression of spirituality and religion. And we can get into that later. Um, but just on the one hand, I, I obviously love my parents and they love me for who I was. Um, but I had never revealed that aspect to them until I was in college. So there was a very, very long period of time where I felt like I was living kind of two different lives. And I had my, even with my family, I had my like outward persona. And then I had my, what was happening inside, um, in my own space, in my own head. And so I I feel like I, while I had a a really amazing upbringing and I, and I am incredibly blessed and lucky to have grown up in the family that I have been. And I, and I acknowledge that, but I feel like I, uh, some sense of regret or guilt, even where I, squandered a little bit of that because I didn't allow myself to be fully vulnerable with my family, which many gay people can relate to that. It's, you know, it's a safety thing. It's a, it's a self-protection thing. Um, and you, you eventually grow out of that. But at the time it was very, you know, I didn't think I could be my, my full self. Um, and that might've held me back from certain things. And I've, I've actually talked about this, um, or wrote about it in, um, 
my like official coming out post on Instagram where uh, I talk about specifically with my brother and the relationship I had with my brother, where he was someone who very charismatic, had a lot of friends um, and, you know, also played sports. And so I had this felt this responsibility to not come out almost like for his sake, because I didn't want to be an embarrassment for him or have him get picked on because he had a gay older brother. So that I think caused a little bit of a rift between us growing up since has been repaired for sure as we've become adults and um talked about things a little bit um and that post was was one of the kind of ways that not reconciled but we came to understand each other a little bit more um but yeah it it i feel like i prevented myself from fully fully enjoying the life that i was blessed with because I didn't feel like I almost like deserved it in a sense. I felt like I was, um, you know, I was felt like I was a disappointment. I felt like, or I could have been a disappointment. Um, and speaking to like how I was growing up in school, like, and this is a, a, a thing for a lot of, uh, gay men as well, where you feel like you have to constantly be on or constantly be doing something to prove yourself so that if it does come out that you're gay you can say oh well i did all these other things despite this you know like it's it's your it's your shield and your your kind of protection from any sort of finger pointing or harassment or, or abuse it's like you can you can stand on what you've done but it still was never like enough like there's always that um you know, that sense of, you know, guilt or just self-loathing even like, and just really trying to pull yourself out of that through achievement, um, for the sake of loving yourself more rather than like, this is something I really want to do. And this is something that I, um, you know, this is something that drives me and fulfills me. And it, it's, it was part of it was that yes, but the other part of it was, I'm doing this because I almost feel like I have to, because if I don't, then either people will know or people will say things about me and whatever. And it's, it's a difficult mentality to get out of for sure. But that's kind of like the gist of living in two worlds, I think. And I, I would say a lot of gay people can relate to that is, um, you know, it, it's, it's one thing to grow up with a family who loves you. It's another thing to accept that they love you even. Um, and then of course there's, others who aren't accepted by their family. And, and again, I count myself to be very, very lucky to to have grown up where I was with the people that I had. Um, and even just surrounded by certain friends growing up that were, uh, while I wasn't out, picked up on it and were there for me a lot of the time. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of like, the long and short of, of growing up and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that you felt comfortable enough to talk about that. Yeah. And that's why I didn't like push for you to talk about that because I've had people who also were like, don't want to make that the whole conversation. But uh, I yeah, always think it's important to allow that space for, if you do want to talk about it, because it was a pivotal point for you too, especially growing up and going through a lot of these emotions and also culturally, like it wasn't as like 
I guess as accepting as it is now, like now it's very accepting, I would yeah. say for the most part. And back then it was definitely a little bit different. And that probably added to some of those fears about coming out. No, absolutely. And I, and I see that a lot in the way that my brother came up to and because he, he's four years younger than me. And so when he, so we never were actually in the same school at, at the same time. So when I was a senior in high school, he was in eighth grade. So once I moved out, he moved in. Um, and so we never had a crossover in the same space and, and, which would have, I think, contributed more to what I was stressing about and kind of, you know, my anxiety rumination of, you know, he's going to get bullied. It's like it, it would have never trickled down anyways, like unless we were in the same school, maybe. But um, yeah, I, I think I think his generation, even just four years af- after ours, is is much more um, accepting, especially with like other other men. Like there seems to be much more of like a brotherhood camaraderie and just understanding of of each other and um and their emotions. And I think this podcast also speaks to that as well. Like it's, there, there's, there's definitely a shift, a, a, a recognizable and significant shift in the way that men in general are talking about themselves and their feelings and their emotions. And I think that's amazing. Um, and I think we're also seeing a lot more his, his generation for sure shows a lot more like platonic intimacy and friendship intimacy, hugging each other, like saying, I love you to your friends. Like that's something that I don't think either of us had ever seen or experienced growing up in, um, in our time. So it's, it's, I love to see it. It's, 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 it brings me, it brings me a lot of joy to see how far things have come in such a short amount of time, even in just like this town in general, not even talking about the, the nation as a whole, but like, you know, from four years is, is four year difference than us. And already like it's, it's, night and day yeah i think a huge part of that too was we we were kind of talking about this um off podcast with the millennial gen z cutoff type thing and the the way we were raised was very different than like our, a lot of our younger siblings yeah because the technology really caught up within the span of years too on top of that like obviously we had the internet on some extent we had video games in some extent we had all these different different tv shows to that that level but we were still that generation still part of it at least of going outside and playing with your friends and like that old school mentality to it and that i could see how that energy could contribute to fears of people coming out and i definitely could see your reservation for doing that, especially in yep. some of the circles that we definitely rolled in yes. back then and in type of uh, sports and stuff, the clicks that were part of that school as well. I could definitely understand of why the, the, the timidness or the fear of coming out and maybe feeling like you might let down was your family, yourself, yep. your brother, your friends, all people around you might look at you differently for that. And yep. I think that fear was probably rational at the time, but like people would have, come around to it and been accepting especially the fact that you excelled in so many different things on top of that obviously you're saying it's come out of a fear Mm -hmm. and like kind of like your shield yeah but you were so good at so many things where i think a lot of people would have looked the other way and not been like bothered by it either yeah and i i think back to sports especially like sports you can dive into that too the childhood and sports yeah sports has been one of the kind of slower things to start to come around in terms of lgbtq acceptance and we're seeing a lot more athletes now be outspoken like certainly the 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 number of athletes who are who are out is still very very low like and i'm sure there are plenty of other people who are flying under the radar radar right now but um yeah just even even as like being a quarterback and being in a leadership position like to me my biggest fear was that would be compromise and that like if i'm supposed to be on the field directing or at least 
you know, uh, being the middleman between a, a play that coach would call out to just delivering it into a huddle, like to not have, or to, to think that, that like authority almost, or like not even authority, like what's, what's the word for it? I guess like just, uh, like that, that that relationship is compromised. Like to to not be taken seriously or to be considered, you know, less valuable, or that you know my my leadership for you know however it was granted to me, like was was not true. Like it, you know, it, it that was kind of the biggest thing is is just being pushed to the side or um, not taken seriously or. Um, yeah, especially in a sports setting, it was it was it was really tough. And I'll, and also, I, I kind of joke about this too, like being a quarterback, like you gotta be a little, you know. Hands I mean, the on. joke's sort of in there yeah, at first. You gotta, you gotta be a little hands on. Um, but like, it was it was always never about that. It was always about you know how can we how can we act as a team, how can we work as a team, and how can we you know score a goal. As you know, it was <laughs> difficult. <laughs> Our but, year was a difficult yeah. year. I mean, we still got score. into the playoffs. Yeah, we did. And it's just those old Rochester games. I will never. I quit. Well, those we got fucking spanked. Like it, I just think of the old Rochester games. Like I, well, you were hurt for one of them, right? Because we had mm. we didn't have any quarterbacks. I think you were hurt. Brennan was hurt, and we had just Ben. And yeah. like Ben was not. The quarterback for that. It's just because I, I know I have a video of you throwing me a flea flicker touchdown. Yep. And I think that was the first game we played against them. And I mean, we, the thing with, with that team was, and obviously we're walking down memory lane. I know. Um, but it's been 10 years. I'm sorry. Yeah. And we haven't really talked about like this. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, literally 10 years. So, I mean, I always think back on that team and it makes me somewhat sad because of how much like potential and athleticism we did have as a class to let so many egos and personalities kind of ruin that and not fully buy in to what coach Crawford was teaching us, mm-hmm. not only about football, but just life in general. There's so many stuff that I, even when I talked to like Jeff LePage off podcast and stuff, the stuff that that coach taught through the game of sport, through the game of football that I've used in my own personal life. Mm-hmm. And even the fact that they even have a turf field now is because of that man. putting they really? Yeah. Seacon has turf no now. Way. Yeah. And Part of it is because Coach Agile and Coach Texera have come in in a new regime and yep. bringing like the old Seekonk energy back to it and like it's hometown, homegrown type thing. But yeah. Coach Crawford was a huge reason why this town and that sport really elevated to another level and kind of modernized. Yeah. And, and that was huge for it. And I think that team, just there was so many things that I, I think went wrong with our team in terms, but I, I don't think it was really ever a skill issue. It was really just personality issue. Yeah, it was a, um, it was a, it was yeah, it was a camaraderie issue. It was like like you said, we had a lot of big personalities and different cliques. Yeah, and just, no fault to anyone. It's just that sometimes they don't, sometimes they don't mix well, and some that's oh well. Yeah, <laughs> like, we literally lost our way into the playoffs. Like we were yeah. good enough to make the playoffs. We lost our way into the playoffs. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. I, I think too. Uh, and it this may have changed obviously but something i noticed definitely growing up with sports and um and actually this is kind of what led me to to do more like theater and dance like once i got older like at the end of high school and um and even into college was there like both like with dance and sports you do you compete as a team but you also sort of compete against each other for positioning or for for roles and whatnot for you know theater as well um 
but with sports there just seemed to and this just might be a small town issue or you know but i think it speaks to a lot of different places where the the politics of sports can get a little dicey and that's i was very aware of that um growing growing up and and you know even being in a leadership role in sports being a quarterback was like i i think i had some expectation of like what how things were gonna go um and it just was it was not that it, it was a lot of finger pointing and people talking in people's ears and certain people getting you know more play time for whatever reason and i'm not going to go into all that but it was since middle school since i had started football like that had always been the case since the baseball that was always the case um that's the reason i quit baseball that's the reason i quit baseball too <laughs> like freshman year i freshman year were you in uh baseball yeah freshman year yeah. yeah so we both quit yeah. basically after that season. yeah i did not play sophomore year i dedicated myself more to football because yeah. i just i like i like yeah. i like the sport better too. yeah I, I it's thought... just the politics and baseball were very very um undeniable like you could at least to a certain extent ignore some of the football ones because obviously football parents are football parents but like baseball like if you didn't play like the legion baseball like you're you're not getting played no. yeah there was there was um like i said there was like an expectation of of or I had my expectations of what I would do, but then there was a lot of other expectations that were put on you and not even really spoken. It was like, you had to be in certain circles to even know about these things. And, you know, um, which I never was. <laughs> um, but I, I actually speaking to that, I, I kind of prided myself on that where, um, I was able to traverse different groups in high school and I was friends with the academic kids. I was friends with the kids in sports. I was friends with kids in theater and band and all these other things. And, um, I think that's why our relationship was able to go further than yeah. a lot of those. Cause we were, I would say that too. Like I was able to be friends with not just sports people. Like yeah. it, it goes beyond that. And I think that helped me even create this podcast, but I think that helps to our relationship. It's not just, it's not just, the the football stuff or the sports stuff it goes beyond sure. that like I, I i think about people not might not get this reference but i remember this comedian talking about mac and cheese and we used to we watched it in my basement and that, like the sound of eating mac and cheese was like i think it was gabriel like the big uh mexican oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. i remember Iglesias. Yeah, yeah i don't know if you showed me that but i vividly remember us like watching that like comedy special and just like that Dying. specific yeah the, the sound of the mac and cheese people know what i'm talking yeah, about yeah. <laughs> and that and that just wow. i just I just remember specifically watching that with you, just dying laughing and just like, it's just stuff like that. It's like, it's not even about like the, uh, the sports stuff, but it's the friendships that you can make from sports that are super valuable. And then Absolutely. adding to that. Absolutely. And I still actually, one of the people that I talked to, I don't talk to him as often as I would like to, or I should. Um, but one person that I talked to the, probably the, one of the most frequently, uh, probably most frequently out of anyone from, um, our graduating class is Mike Ludi. I still talk to Mike Ludi every single year. I send him a birthday text every single year. I go to see him and his um, girlfriend, uh, fiance, three kids now. Like, it lit, like amazing. Like it's it's the <laughs> just like the memories that I have of like you and him and everyone from football to like where everyone is now. I'm like whole, like literally just worlds apart. Um, but I, I and I that's what I love the most about coming back home. Um, when I do visit and, and always just like checking up on people on, on Instagram or on social media and just seeing how they're doing. And even if we like, don't talk, I'm 
whoever's watching, even if we don't talk, I am still watching. Like I love all of you who, you know, who still follow me and you all know who you are. Um, but uh, like, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it makes me so proud to come from uh, a small town. And I, I think that's definitely shaped a lot of who I am now with um, just how I view community and how I view um, neighborliness and friendships. Um, I, just recently, actually, our neighbor, um, the Correas, Pedro Correa, passed away with uh, stage four pancreatic. He was diagnosed last Christmas um, and wasn't given that that much time to live and, and just passed away a couple months ago. Um, and I came back for that out of, you know, out of respect. And I was like, I, I need to be here. Like, this is, this is, these are people who I've grown up with and wouldn't necessarily call family, but they were close enough that like, they felt like family in a, in a sense, they felt like, you know, they, they had always been there since we had moved in and in 2003, I think it was. Um, and Pedro, especially um, him and my dad, I think were, uh, probably the closest thing that my dad has had to a best friend since his like high school friends. Um, and it was, it was really nice to see him as now me as an adult and with my father to see him be that vulnerable. He had spoke at his, uh, he spoke, gave the eulogy. Um, and one thing that he, he said that, um, stuck with me and, and is something that I carry with me now for sure. Um, is this idea of, of loving your neighbor. And I think him and Pete were great. Our Pete was, and my dad, I think is a, a great example of, of loving your neighbor. And I think that's something that, um, you know, we talked about 2024, like that's something that I think is dreadfully lacking um, in all aspects of our, society and community is, is, is that sense of community. I feel like we've, we've either gone into our cliques and we've kind of forgotten who else is around us. And we kind of, you know, put the blinders on and live in our own worlds and we have our, our tight circle and that's it. But there are so many people beyond that, even just like a couple doors down from us, you know, like it's, it's one thing to take care of your family. And then it's another thing to then invite other people into that space with you and, and grow your family, not by blood, but by connection. Um, and, and I think we need to just in general, get back to a sense of being good neighbors. Um, what was it? Who was it? Uh, Mr. Rogers just had the, the, the movie out. Um, and, and, you know, the romanticism of, of, I think a generation past, like people talk about the 1950s, 1960s or whatever being this, which it was not for a lot of people, but that idea of like neighborliness, I think was much more ingrained in our culture. And we've started to really pull out of that for a variety of reasons. And we don't have to get into that, but that's something that I definitely feel I've learned growing up here is, is how to be a good neighbor, how to be a good friend for sure. Um, and I think that's, what's, carried me through a lot of my relationships um and and whether or not i still maintain those today um there's always there's always the connection is still there and that that connection can always be rekindled and, and relit um case in point um 
so yeah th th this this town has definitely shaped a lot of who i am and whether or not you know people like to admit oh i'm from a small town and this is this, this people you, it tends to be very polarizing like you get people who are who love being from a small town and like are really that's their that's who they are that's their personality and then you have other people who like really try to reject it and, and push themselves away from it and kind of stand above it in a sense and i'm like i don't i don't i don't consider myself to be either of those people i i recognize that like everything in life there are good things and bad things good things and bad things i don't think anything is ever fully good or fully bad um but you you learn from it it shapes who you are and um and you can just if you can come back and be appreciative and be grateful for where you've come from i think that speaks more to who you are as a person and 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 what you've learned from growing up in these spaces and then taking that with you outside of those spaces. And we talked earlier about the importance of moving away. And that was really huge for me. Um, was I, I love staying here. I loved being here and growing up here, but I desperately wanted to get away just to have a different perspective and just to be surrounded by other people and not live in um, kind of like a homogenous community. Um, and just learn because there's so much out there in the world and there's so many amazing things. And, Again, going back to that, uh, being instilled with a love of learning, um, learning through experience is one of the greatest things that you can you can do. It's one thing to put your nose in a book and sit there and just absorb and absorb and absorb. It's another thing to then apply that out in the real world. And then it's another thing to apply, fail and learn and be like, oh, this isn't at all what I thought it was going to be. This is not what the book said. This is actually completely different than what the book said. And this might have just been one perspective. Um, let me read another book and see if there's another like there's just getting out of that space is is valuable and is much, much, much needed. Um, yeah, I, I want to build off that and. We can also pivot into the travel stuff with yeah. graduating into going to New York. I think what you really hit on too right there is the, the connection aspect. Yeah. And obviously for people that listen, obviously I hyperfixate on connection, hence the name. But the the thing that we really do miss in society is having those connections. And that's part of why I wanted to get back to to this. And I think in the I've never really updated the the summary of what this podcast was because I never felt like I had to, but it was always getting back to the individual and having those person-to-person -person conversations that we once had yeah. that we no longer do. And part of the reason I never went virtual was because I wanted the energy in the room to be here as we talk. Yeah. I wanted you to feel it. I wanted people to feel comfortable. I wanted all this, this the eye contact to work on things, to hear things. And with the virtual aspect, and this goes hand to hand with the internet and social media of why this this connection stuff is kind of separated, is sometimes we just see people as people on a screen and not yep. real people. And obviously, we, we can go down the rabbit hole with AI and stuff that's eventually coming and working its way into society. But we need to get back to trying to like nurture those relationships with people around us, whether it's just someone on a bench in a park that you walk by or mm -hmm. someone at your local coffee shop that you love to get coffee with, having that interaction with them that just like might help their day be better. Cause you might not know they might have a shitty customer that comes in at like eight o'clock and you're the one that comes in at eight Oh five and you could be the one that makes the difference for their day. But it's, it's having that relationship and working on that. Like I love, and my girlfriend will probably get a kick on this. I love Bajas right in East Providence. Mm -hmm. They put there. I love going there, and it's like the guy's like, "Hey, hello, my friend," and just like hearing that and like having him recognize 
me that I come in, I come in like every Sunday to my yeah. church and like, like, but having that, that relationship with the people that you're, you're around constantly. And this is something small like that, that makes a difference that I constantly think about in reference and having that like connection there yeah. and having that, that, that relationship with people and reconnecting, like you said, I think is so valuable where, um, I put that out there as part of like the thing with the podcast is if you want to come back, let's reconnect and like talk about what's happened. Yeah. Cause this is the introduction to you after this. It's, we talk about whatever now yeah. it's just, I got to introduce your life story because this part of like my whole process, but the conversation continues to grow every time you come back. Yeah. And that's like my hope and desire with, with this podcast to continue to grow with that and the connections to continue to develop and, getting back to reconnecting and forming new connections on top of that, I think is super valuable. Mm -hmm. uh, turning towards what you were talking about with uh, going to New York, talk to me a little bit about, like, I know you mentioned a little bit, but the decision after high school to really make that and then go into uh, kind of how things have been in New York for you. Yeah. So after high school, I, well, I went to Northeastern for a five-year program. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, when I when I got there, my first year at college actually was was very eye opening for me in a in a great way, and it was really everything that I kind of wanted. I lived in um, the dormitory was called International Village, which true to its name was like literally just tons of people who had uh, come to the university, and I was in the honors program, so it was a lot of different people from all over the world, all over the United States, um, and we all just were kind of there in the honors program, so we that was our only kind of connection. We all had different majors. So I was with economics majors. I was with PT majors. I was with um, liberal arts majors. Like we just all could like learn off of each other. And we found our, um, we found our friends, not by our majors, but by just our shared interests as people, which I think was so, so, so important and valuable for me than going into the rest of my collegiate years. Because after that, like I most of my friends then were through my program, but I still maintained all of those other connections for the most part that I met my first year. Um, and then from there I went into, I was an orientation leader for the next summer, which par for the course with me. Like it just, it was, that was a great time. I had an amazing time being like a mentor with a lot of different um, people coming in and, um, and yeah, so, so college happened. I did some internships, co-ops as they called them. Um, yeah, I did my first one in Waltham at a company called Simpson Gumperts and Hager SGH doing heavy civil, which was like geotechnical. Um, the actually the the first Church of Christ Scientists in Boston, right by the reflecting pool. I've actually went underneath that, which is awesome. Um, it, the building's actually sinking because when they some civil engineering stuff, when they dewatered the area to build a Prudential Center, um, that building, the church, sits on timber piles, and so you would think, you know. If, wood is underwater it's going to rot not necessarily it's only once it's then exposed to oxygen that it'll start to rot so once all that water went down the water table dropped the wood starts to to mold and to rot and to weaken and so you got to see the building sink um and so our job was basically to do like elevation monitoring and check how much the building was sinking over time in conjunction with the work that was going on there so i got to go underneath like the belly of the beast and see like the pile caps and like all these massive concrete pillars and, you know, really cool places it's taken me. But, um, so that was that, uh, I did Simpson, Gumperts and Hager SGH again in Los Angeles. I lived there for six months in 2000. 
18, 17, 18, um, in Culver City, which was a lot of fun. We did um, building envelope and facade work, so waterproofing, um, uh, glazing and glass. Um, let's see, yeah, that one took me to uh, San Diego. I was like off the side of a building spraying water on some like apartment windows uh, to make sure that they were, were secure um, and sealed properly. And then my last internship was at the company I'm at now, which is called Silman. Um, and I lived in New York. I lived in Brooklyn for six months, and I uh, commuted into FIDI. And yeah, living in living in New York, I had been there once before um, on like a spring break, and I just really fell in love with the city. Um, I fell in love, I think, more with the city when I went to Los Angeles. I think Boston is a great college city. I think it's 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 a it's at the middle point between like a New York and like a, just like a town. Like it, it feels more like a town, but it looks like a city is how I would describe Boston. And so Los Angeles is very much, um, that first kind of city, the introduction to city. Um, and then, yeah, New York was, was just everything I could have possibly wanted. Um, it's it's just being at the epicenter of a lot of things and, and being able to connect with so many different people, cultures, backgrounds, ethnicities. Like that is that's to me what the essence of of life is is making those connections and making enough of um, making enough different connections. Like you you there's so much value in in perspective and others perspectives. Like you you can't just go through you can't just go through life with you know, a certain mindset or, or, or being surrounded by certain people, like you have to break out of that. And again, like leaving, leaving home, it's, it's great to come back home, but leaving home and being outside of that space is so, so important. Um, but yeah, so I've just, I've bebopped around in New York. I lived in Brooklyn for a little bit. Um, I lived in Hell's Kitchen. I lived in Upper East Side. I lived in the Bronx, uh, back in the, oh, I'm back in the Upper East Side. I'm in East Harlem now. Um, so I've kind of been all over the place, seen a couple of the neighborhoods. Um, I love living in East Harlem, too. I love, love, love the neighborhood that I'm in. Um, and I've loved all the neighborhoods that I'm in. Some of them, Brooklyn, it was not really my speed. I love Brooklyn. I love going out there to hang out. But I always I always joke that um, I resist going out into Brooklyn. And then once I'm there, I have a great time. So I'm like, eh, it's just making the trek. Um, but yeah, living, living in New York has, has been has been a dream. Um and I will say that <laughs> the dream is starting to become a little bit of a nightmare. New York is going through some uh, interesting leadership transitions right now. Um, but I think other than that, the, the people are what really makes the city and the people that I've found in the networks that I've established in that city are, is, is what really keeps me there. So um, to, to actually, even what you said about going to, um, what was the place that you mentioned? It was um, Bajas. Bajas, yeah. <laughs> um, so when I first moved to the city, I only knew two people. And I I know I knew these two people through a gay Facebook group. It was called Gag, God, another gay group. And that was a collective of like 5,000 gay guys from around the world. It was like Australia, London, New York, Miami, um, Los Angeles. And I would just like went on just to see like, what is this? Like, what is this network of people that I like identify with, but have no idea like what this 
you know, this life is yet, um, is still very new, very young gay coming out in, in college, um, second year of college actually. And, uh, yeah, so I, I met a few people on there and once I moved to the city, I connected with them. One of them, uh, does the lights at a bar formerly called therapy. Um, so that was always a joke, like, oh, I'm going to therapy tonight. And it's like, oh, really? I'm like, no, I'm going to drink my life away. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I would hang out by the DJ booth. He did the lights for all the drag shows. Um, and, uh, that's how I, that's how I like made all my friends in New York was just going to that same bar over and over and over again, hanging out by the DJ booth, hanging out with him. And then he would introduce me to, I knew like the managerial staff. I knew the, um, I knew the security outside, I knew the doorman, I knew the bartenders, like that, that kind of became like my family. Um, and it still is like the bar is now called Hush. Um, it closed during COVID and came under new management, but my friend still works there. So does the lights. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to go back here and hang out. That place is good energy for me. Um, and even between, um, even between owners, like the people who work there are obviously different, but they they're, it's the same energy. It's the same love. It's the same sense of community. Um, and, and that's something that, especially in New York, while, whether, while there obviously are issues in the, in the gay community when it comes to community and being accepting of each other, um, not only just like our kind of like spectrum of LGBTQ and whether or not certain letters should be in there or, you know, and then bringing it back to uh, racial issues within the LGBTQ community. Like there's so many, it, it, it's just a microcosm of what we, the rest of us experience daily. Um, there's, there's still like that, that sense of community, like you still belong to a group and you still have people there that are willing to stick their necks out for you or, or give you a place to sleep if you need it. Like it's, the friendships that I've made after coming out and living authentically as myself in the real world, especially in New York, have been, I, I cannot say enough good things about, about those relationships and those, yeah, it, it's, there are really no words. Like it, that's, it's finding your tribe and it's finding the people that you trust outside of your family or the, the, the people who are closest to you that you've grown up with, like meeting adult friends and making friends as an adult, people always say is like so hard. It's so difficult, which it is. Um, but when you make them like they really are ride or die. So, cause at that point too, you're more likely than not your true self exactly. or closer to your true self. Exactly. So the relationships you're making tend to be aligned with things that you guys share in interests yeah. versus a lot of the times that our friends in our our hometown or even college are kind of just by you're in the same place at the same time and every yeah, yeah it's just really based on that and by chance you might find the right people that become lifelong friends and stuff like that yeah. but it sounds like based on what you've been talking about that New York was like kind of the perfect place for you to like really discover yourself yeah. as a as a person and who you really want to be and help you align yourself with where you want to go as well as that exactly. and i think that ties into perfectly where we can transition next is kind of the stuff that you've been working on and being probably in new york has allowed you to meet really great people to help start working in this activism space yeah so oddly enough um the the work that i'm in, i'm doing right now in activism started 
pri- uh, primarily online. So I met this woman. So when I started my my tarot reading journey in in 2020, um, I don't know if I had mentioned that. They had on the okay. podcast. Yeah, that was in the the pre interview. Uh, so that's another thing too. Is is during during COVID, um, April of 2020, I uh, March and April, I went through a really really difficult kind of like breakup emotional i don't call it a breakup because it wasn't officially a relationship but it was a situation it was a situation it was enough of a relationship that it felt like it and it hurt just as bad as if it had been a real relationship um to be fair i'm actually still friends with um those people to this day and that's a whole other sure that's a good idea okay okay yes yes yes, yes. okay um that's i could also talk about we can do this at another time if i if i come back uh my journey with like polyamory too has been very, very interesting um, and eye opening. But um, no, speaking to, to the activism stuff, like I met this woman through my tarot journey and uh, found her on Instagram, like doing a lot of um, like indigenous spirituality. She worked with these um, things called like animal medicine cards. And there's always, there's a story for each of the the animals and, and what they represent. Um, and that, that spoke to me as not only someone who considers themselves like a storyteller, like wants to be a storyteller um, in a sense, but just kind of getting back to getting back to the earth. I, and as a, as an engineer, someone who works with steel and concrete and, you know, uh, engineered materials and fabricated, you know, synthetics. And, you know, we have so much, we have we have we have so much in the earth and we've forgotten like our connection to that and so to have that kind of to be exposed to that i think what was was a pivotal point for me not only as uh, in a spiritual sense but also just like as a, a person and how i'm I now try to approach my relationships my job and everything else um is is bringing bringing us back to the to the earth and, and what does that mean for us um, on an individual level, but also as a, as a community and collective. Um, but I, I started following her. I reached out to her, um, got a reading from her, which was just beyond, um, like to a T one of the best readings I've ever gotten. And yeah, so she and I just kind of developed this like mentor mentee relationship and she has other people that she's mentored. But, um, over time I ended up, um, meeting her daughter, June, and uh june has done a lot with pr and activism and has been doing this for most of her life and uh yeah after the the events of october um and the the aftermath that we're we're witnessing now um there came a point where both of us at the same time we had known each other a little bit for um before then uh we both just on our own started to look into like tax resistance and, and um, going back to like the Vietnam era with Joan Baez and she refused 60 per, over 60% of her income taxes um, for, I believe she continued that for a number of years because the Vietnam war was like 10 years or so. Um, and, and the, the tax resistance started through um, like phone tax, like you have to pay, um, the landline phone tax, um, and that was about five hundred thousand people at the at the at its peak were resisting that, and then another twenty thousand or so were resisting the income tax directly. Um, but she and I just kind of researched this at the same time, and we were kind of we were just message each other, and we we're like, hey, uh, 
let's do something with this. Like everyone online, we noticed the pattern seems to be saying like, I don't want my taxes to be funding this. I don't want my taxes to be funding war, genocide, whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, we're sending so much money out of this country and we're not investing back into our communities. Like the big push for voting for Biden was a student, um, student debt forgiveness. We haven't seen a, not, they have done some, I will say that, but the level to which we were expecting is not even close. Yeah. To they did the bare minimum. They did the bare minimum. Um, and I will say Kamala Harris is just like an episode of veep. Like Julia Louis-Dreyfus is a psychic for her to make that show and then have the current vice president that we have today. It's, it's like, it's Simpsons level psychic mediumship. Like it's wild. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, so we just started looking into tax resistance, um, what that means. And I think there's a lot of, uh, yeah, that we saw a lot of people saying like, I don't want, I don't want to pay for this. We shouldn't have to pay for this, but what can we do? Like the IRS is so powerful. Like you can get arrested. But, and the more we looked into it, we connected with the tax, the National Tax Resistance Organization that's um, been been in America for I don't even know how many years now. Like it's been around for for generations, um, but it's the NWTRCC, the National War Tax Resistance Coordination Committee. Um, and so we got in touch with uh, leaders of that group, and now we are we're putting together a, a coalition to kind of bring this to the greater. Um, the, the greater public and and just say, listen, we have all these other protests going on. There's calls for a general strike. There's calls for BDS and um, boycott divestment sanctions. There's calls for what we're calling like voting resistance, which is um, not voting for either uh, the, the primary Democrat or Republican, but looking to other other options. Like how can we start to break ourselves free of this cycle of trauma that the two-party system has has kept us in for so long, um, kept us placated in consumerism and consumption and um, commodity. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. We are we have some big plans to launch in the new year. Um, we have something dropping in the next couple of days uh, that I won't say yet, but I can. Um, we have an Instagram. It's at WTP.resist. Um, and the email is the same, uh, if you want to contact us, but I actually wrote a blog post, um, for the national war tax resistance coordination committee that they sent out, um, which was basically just like a call to action. And that got some pretty, um, the response to that was not necessarily what I was like expecting. It was, um, I mean, I don't even know what I was, to, to be fair, I didn't even know what I was expecting, what we were expecting out of this. Like, we we just kind of came together and said, something needs to be done. We talked about earlier, like, the answering the call. Like, we both had the same idea at the same time. We both looked into it simultaneously, and just, it aligned for us. Um, and nobody else seemed to be doing it. Again, people were talking about it, like, conceptualizing, is this something that we could do? Yes, it's going to take a lot of people to make it... Um, to make it work. But I think from what we've seen on not only a national scale, but a global scale with the amount of people who have come out physically to protest and march in these millions of numbers, um, even going back as like the marches on Washington, the women's March in Washington, like there's so many people that are gathering together. We were like, we just need to start it. We just need to do something and the people will follow as long as we can continue to, you know, preach a message of community and 
focus on rebuilding ourselves because our leadership isn't doing it. We can't rely on the people we've elected anymore. Um, and I say elected because again, we're in this interesting word too nowadays. Yeah. We're in this, we're in this space of, there are certainly younger progressive candidates who are coming up, but it's incredibly difficult for them to get things like funding to get the, the, the reach that they would need to pursue these things and politics for a long time. Um, and I, even to put a broad stroke to it has, has usually just been about um, think of it like Royal bloodlines. Like a lot of people who are in politics, their kids are now in politics and their grandkids will be in politics. And it just continues down the line. You have these families, generations that have been in politics and it's like, I thought we like left the the rule of monarchy. Like what, like, what are we doing here? Um, and we just, we, we just need to have, have newer voices in set term limits, age limits. So there needs to be some, like, it's just very, it's crazy that people, and I'm not going to get too deep into the politics of the yeah, stuff, yeah. but like, just like people will listen to this stuff. And it's like, I think almost everyone can agree. We shouldn't have people that are not going to see the laws that they implement Absolutely. Like in the presidency or even in elected officials, they Absolutely. should not be making rules that we have to live with that they won't have to live with. Absolutely. That's crazy that it's even, even gotten to that place. And to go off with your self, your work in activism, I think everyone can, whether it doesn't matter really what side you agree with. I think in terms of funding wars, we don't want to do that. And I think exactly. that across the board, most people feel that way. We should stop sending our money to fight wars they're kind of proxy wars too. They we're, we're using other people to fight wars for us when we shouldn't be doing that. We should be investing into our own country because we need that. Yeah. And we, it's almost like sabotage, like on purpose sometimes it makes you really question the conspiracy theory is like, are we doing this to ourselves to a certain extent? Yeah. And it goes down that rabbit hole. We don't need to go down that necessarily, but I think the work that you're doing, I think is extremely valuable and it's not, and at least in my opinion, it doesn't seem very polarizing in the sense of like, you're not isolating, like we're really supporting this or this, but no. we're not trying to send our hard earned dollars to other countries to fight wars that we don't agree with. Exactly. And especially when you're getting to like the level that's happening in the wars that we are seeing in mainstream media right now. Yeah. And that, that's the main message that we're trying to put out there is that regardless of where you stand on, because I know the big issue is Israel and Palestine. We'll just come out and say it like, mm -hmm. regardless of where you stand on, on that issue, even um, or, or where your politics are, that sense of feeling taken advantage of is universal and universal in, in the sense of the public. Um, and so when, when we're kind of putting out this messaging, we want to make it very clear that, um, you know, we can, there's, there's a whole other kind of like, um, let's say cult of personality on, on, on one side that has been, has been drawing some, uh, some concerning support. Um, but in, in a sense, if you want to talk about like people in the middle moderates on either side, um, there is definitely a, uh, a sense of like shock almost that we, that we want to tap into but also kind of reframe as like we we know that you see our individual parties moving in these polarizing 
completely opposite directions. And the general, I think, consensus and, and understanding in the in the eyes of the American people in general is that we need to bring ourselves back to a place where we can actually have a conversation and talk to each other. And so when we present this idea of tax resistance, um, we also frame it in the, um, we want to frame it as being open for everyone who wants to see something change. And what we're encouraging people to do, and I can talk more about this if, if we have some time, or again, I would encourage people if you want to, to look us up, it's at WTP.resist um, on Instagram. I think we might also have a TikTok or that's in the work, but you can email us at that same um, address. Um, but it's also a mass charity event. So in addition to not paying work, so to explain, we're calling for people to not pay at least 5% of their income taxes in 2024. It's called it, we're doing a tax blackout. And the goal is to get at least 11 million people to sign on to this. That's the same thing with the general strike. We're trying to go big. Like I, my goal is to do 50 million. We'll see if we can get there. Um, we might be able to this time around, but we also envision this to be a recurring thing because it, it's not going to stop in 2024. We're not going to magically things are going to go away and fix themselves in a year. It's going to be a long road. Um, and it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of um, long nights. It's going to be a lot of, um, or long night of the soul, rather, I guess is what the, what's, what's that phrase? Long night, dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be a lot of that. But the essence is to redirect and to reinvest into local communities. So while you are refusing to pay a certain percentage to the government and, you know, to not fund war or whatever. Um, or if you just like are tired of money being mishandled and misappropriated, um, putting the power back into the hands of the people and saying, okay, we don't trust the money to go to the top and trickle down and get distributed where it needs to be because that's not happening. It's lining pockets. It's going to lobbyists. It's going to corporate interests. It's going to the pockets of politicians. It's not going to us wherever it's going. And so, if we want to, you know, put a kind of comparison of like the free market of capitalism, um, the free market is supposed to be we can spend our money how we want to in the economy and it will take care of itself because we are we are um, putting our money into where our interests, our individual interests are. So we're coming from this place of, well, at this point, the uh, our government is basically like the economy now. It's bought and paid for across the board. Um, and if we're going to participate in that, then we should at least have the opportunity and the ability to put our money where we want directly. And so we're also sort of advocating for like a, um, a revised tax system where instead of, again, money going into the government and then distributing, the government can put out our, plan, our idea is the government can put out their pie chart of like how they want, how they envision money should be distributed. You know, right now it's like 47% or something. I, this was another, this was the numbers a couple of years ago, but it was like 40% goes to like military expenditure and, um, you know, 10% to the national debt. I think it was like 15 to social security or Medicaid. Um, and so we want to put that back to the people and say, how would you 
distribute? How would you want your taxes to be distributed? What do you think is most valuable? And so this, it's this concept of ethical redistribution is what we're calling it. Ethical in the sense that not, you know, kind of this general sense of ethic, like what is ethical and what is not ethical, but your individual ethics, your values. If we are trusted in the market economy to, you know, pay for what we think is valuable to us and by then, oh, by that point, boost the economy, um, why don't we do the same with taxes? Like we have enough of a political spread where certain sides, certain factions would definitely put more money into certain things, but overall taken as a whole, some of its parts, we have a balanced budget overall. And we're like still working on like numbers to prove that, but it's like in theory, it should be viable. It should be feasible. And it's just about like, how do you dismantle or change or adjust or whatever the current system to then allow for more individual power when it comes to taxes and, and investing in community. So, um, yeah, again, we just, we want to encourage people to, for whatever they don't pay. And the 5% is just a suggestion. If they want to go more than that, fantastic. It's whatever you're comfortable with. We don't want to force anyone. We don't want to give financial advice. Like that's not what we're about. Um, we just want to pose the challenge really to the American people and say, listen, we're all tired of this shit. Let's try something else, like anything else. Um, and we we want to bring it back again to community. So investing in the local community, you don't need to look at like, you know, on the national level, like, oh, which organizations do I want to put them in? It's like, no, focus at home. Like come back to your hometown, where you live, where your parents live even, and just be like, where where can I put my money? And like, look at the sectors of government. We have, you know, agriculture, infrastructure, um, science and, and tech, health. Like where, find those niches of what you value in the community and start to put money into that. Um, and that's that's kind of the essence of, of what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I think that will hit home for a lot of people, especially when you're talking about their money and where they yeah. want to spend their money. Because I know a lot of us are sick of being taxed on food, taxed on your income, taxed on your car, taxed on... It's just like, it just keeps going and going. And it's like, all right, so why are we being taxed on literally everything all the yeah. freaking time? And, and we're not seeing it brought back to us. Like, if, yeah. we, if we're taxed so much on, you know, toll roads even, it's like, why do the roads suck? Rhode Island has potholes everywhere. Like New Hampshire example. should be a guideline for the way our roads should be. Like, yeah. they redo those roads so nicely every single year. Obviously, yeah. they get more snow and inclement weather but like we also live in new england like come on here like it can't be that hard to update like especially even just like highways if we're going to get to like that technical like i mean the fact that we're even having the the rhode island bridge problem over here oh like that's especially you probably could really dive into that we're not going to go into that just because time-wise but like to to allow that i saw photos it's horrendous to allow things to have gotten that bad and to have known about it yeah it's it's actually yeah actually crazy i mean it's a it's a microcosm of what our actual national government yeah. is is like. It, it's kind of crazy to see that locally now. And hopefully people will wake up to the fact that these people are making decisions for us. And this is just like what's happening on our scale. Times it like by 10, by 100. And this is like national governments at this yeah. point. It's it's really it's really eye-opening to see how, um, how locally this can even affect just everyone around us. Yeah. And even the Seekonk, the, the amount of traffic that we've seen because of this they've done the bypass and i mean it's working for now but like it's not long-term solution you can't allow that you have to fix that it's just crazy to 
to see that on this scale. And I think that was like, it kind of somewhat ties into what we're talking about. And I feel like it was um, good to bring up. Yeah. I want to bring us home now with, with the podcast. We are getting toward the end of it. I do have one more question for you, which I mentioned that question off podcast, yes. but is there anything that you want to say uh, not tied towards that, but if there's anything that we might've missed that you wanted to bring up really quickly? Um, let's see. And if you don't, I just want to give you the opportunity to say something besides that. No, yeah, I think, no, I think I've covered, I think I've summarized kind of the, the last 10 years. pretty. Yeah, <laughs> pretty it's a lot to, to, to digest in an hour, but like, obviously yeah, yeah. I try to make it um, good for the listeners and somewhat they'll stick with it and listen through an hour. Cause yeah. you get to like the two or three, four hour podcast, you lose a lot of people. Yeah, so. no, no. That's, and I'm someone, uh, for those of you who are watching, who know me that can, I could talk for a long time and I love telling stories and I love having conversations with people and hearing about them. So yeah, I could do this for forever. Um, yeah, I, I guess really the only other thing that I could say is, um, you know, the last, the last couple of years, especially like the, in terms of like a spiritual journey, like I've, I've really felt that there is a collective movement happening unconsciously that uh, subconsciously and consciously we'll say um, that is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen where I'll not be in contact with certain people for like a couple years. And then when I come back to them, they're one of the first things they like to talk about is like their, spiritual journey and kind of like where they're at and how they've changed. And I'm seeing that across the board, not only in just my friendships, but other people talking about their friendships and just, and just seeing this. And I, I do call it an awakening and not to be like this, you know, mumbo jumbo. like obviously I, I read and I hear spirits and all that stuff. Um, but like, it's, it's just a sense of coming back to what is most important and, and really, and again, it just, it, it's community. Like the, the thing that is most important right now is community and, and breaking free of this individualistic, um, rugged individualism uh, that, that America has seemed to really been pushing and is at the heart of a lot of the messaging that we receive as, as Americans. And it's great to be an individual. It's great to have those, um, uh, to have your, to, to have your freedoms and to, to live in those freedoms and, um, and, and be, be proud of, of who you are. But I feel like we're, we're so wrapped up in ourselves that we are forgetting everyone else. Um, and it's, it's really amazing to see people going on those journeys and kind of seeing those connections being made and seeing people be like, oh yeah, like this is, this is, what we all should be doing. This is what, how we all should be thinking. And this is how we all should be acting towards each other. Um, and so I encourage everyone who's listening to like really lean into that energy and that, that, that's, what's gonna, that's, what's gonna push us forward. Um, and it's, it's, it takes all of us individually waking up to these things. Um, that's step one. And then the second step is sharing it with each other. And so keep having those conversations, keep having those discussions of like vulnerable, you know, emotional, psychological, like get into it all with the people who are closest to you, get into it with strangers. Like I, I, I am so beyond the 
small talk at this point. The people that are closest to me in my life are the people that I have difficult and long conversations with about any topic that matters. I, I'm really big into like talking about space now and like Dyson spheres and like um, space travel and all this stuff. Interstellar was a great movie. My God. I love that movie. Um, but like, those are the conversations I want to be having. Like, I don't want to be talking about like Joe Schmo at work who like brought in a tuna salad and it smelled bad. Like, bruh, like that. Nobody cares. Like, tell me something like, what are you thinking about? Like, what are you, what are your, your thoughts on any topic? Like, just, give me something and i see a lot more people start to like um not isolate not self-isolate but like pull back into their circle and the people that like have those conversations with them so keep having those conversations lean into that energy find the people that you can have those conversations with if you don't have them already um because they are out there um and yeah your your tribe is waiting for you i guess like that's kind of the best way i can phrase that yeah i think that's true a lot of the conversations i've had with people it's always funny because people will be like i'm not trying to sound like wokey spiritual and it's funny because like we're all trying to say the thing without yeah. being labeled as weird or crazy yeah. but it's like it's actually like feels more normal to talk about this yeah. stuff than it's ever before and i think it's i've seen it more in the conversations that i've had as well too and i think it's really cool to see this growth in people especially as times get crazier people are looking towards that that belief in something greater capacity too. Yeah. a greater capacity for these conversations is 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 one of the biggest kind of changes i've seen like it's so easy for us to just go back to having menial whatever um you know low vibrational if you want to call it that low frequency conversations but um i, I definitely see a lot more people like putting in the work which is fantastic um especially from coming from someone who put in a lot of work to themselves in the last 10 years for sure, especially in the last three since 2020, 2020, like that was my God whirlwind of self, you know, epiphanies, growth, whatever. Um, so yeah, keep, keep being curious, keep asking questions, keep um, letting yourself be open, I guess, be vulnerable, be as vulnerable as you can, because if you're, if you, if you hide yourself from other people, you're missing out on everything. Like it, it, there's, there's no point in not being authentic. I think that's a good messaging for a lot of people and it takes time and takes some, some experience too. So if yeah. you're able to, to get out there, like we've talked about on this podcast, like go out to different places, get out of your circles for a little bit, you you might discover some new things about yourself that you're really Absolutely. happy with. So I do have one last question to kind of tie the bow on this conversation. Sure. And that is what would your advice be for someone who wants to pursue their passion? Um, let's see. I think, I think the first thing is really sit with yourself and ask yourself, what is like, what is my passion? I think people tend to have this idea of what a passion is. And it's just like, you know, something that you something that you love doing, or, you know, like, there, there's this kind of romanticized idea of passion. And passion is not pretty. Passion is not easy. And as someone who went into the engineering field to be uh, like a, be of service to others, to help others, to build affordable housing in a time where homelessness is the highest it's like ever been, um, 
like that's hard work and to to now on the activism side like i'm going into activism having no idea really anything i have no experience in this and i'm just learning from people as i go and but that's the thing like i i I love it like it's it's hard work and sometimes like waking up in the morning and being like oh my god i gotta do this and it's like i i don't want to be doing anything else than than helping people i think i think passion i think passion stems from a desire this is going to rhyme but a desire to inspire i think our passions are not only for ourselves but they're for other people and so finding a passion that services both you and other people is critical and if it's doing it's if it's only doing one of those things it's not a passion and i think people need to be a little bit more self-reflective on what their passions are and 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 being a little bit more discerning about how they define those concepts for themselves I think will help people kind of understand the next steps after that, because it's, you can jump into a passion and uh, I don't know, like if, if your heart's not, I think what I'm trying to say is if your heart's not in it. And by that, I mean, again, if it services both other people and yourself, um, if your heart is not, and if those two things aren't connected, if it's not again brought back to the sense of community, passion should be servicing other people. Like that is that that's how what I believe truly about passion. Um, so yeah, have that have that conversation with yourself. Talk to yourself and be like, is this something that I'm doing for myself in almost like a selfish way? Is this uh, a passion of mine because I think it's going to bring me money? or bring me success, whatever that means, or achievement, whatever that means, um, or fame or recognition? Or is it a passion that is that is driven by a deep need to leave something better for my children, for my neighbors, for the world? Um, I, I, I think, I think, the the advice is redefine passion. I think the the advice is to is to understand. I think first what passion is and and how passion serves, um, rather than something that is, you know, something to to boost our egos. Um, so yeah, I think that's one of the better advices that I've gotten on this question. We're 166 episodes in, and I really. Love the way that you put that Thank because you. it really does go into that that two pronged yes. uh, attachment or uh, pursuit of the passion itself. Yeah. Is uh, I always uh, when you were talking about that, I'm like it really aligned with the way I look at this podcast because it is for me, but it's also I feel like a lot of people that have come on and experienced it have enjoyed it as well, and yeah. I think it it opens up a new dialogue between me and the guest. And the guest and possibly their friends and their family that listen to the episode. And I think that's the ultimate goal is going back to the overarching point that we made throughout this is the connection in the community mm. aspect. And I think that's a really good take home message for a lot of people is to really focus on those things throughout uh, their day to day life. Yeah. And just to, to add into that, too, like for, for what you have with this podcast, like storytelling is more important now than ever. And the fact that you are documenting people's stories is. Is incredible like that we we there's so much value in in stories and storytelling and i feel like 
we've also kind of that also ties to community in a way like the, the word of mouth and passing things down oral tradition and things like that like that's where we as a people as humans built much of our civilization off of is that storytelling and the passing of knowledge and the, the transfer of the torch like that is is so so important and i can get into a whole other thing another time with like um the tarot cards in the deck but one one animal that is very close to my heart is is the whale and in um in indigenous spirituality the whale is called the record keeper um and i have like whale in my in my chart somewhere so that idea of like telling stories and keeping record and um and and allowing younger generations to look back and learn um is is much needed so i want to commend you for making this endeavor and continuing this endeavor 166 episodes in like 200 like 200 stories even if there's like repeats 200 stories is is not something to you know to to laugh at like that's huge so i want to also congratulate you on 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 an amazing career with this and hopefully a, a long one past um this episode so yeah i appreciate it. i look forward to future conversations as well Absolutely. as that we'll have and i'm i'm always looking forward to um if you want to make it i know me and we were talking andrew we were talking yeah, yeah. about this we were talking about well, we should do this like a yearly thing and like check up and stuff and yeah. if you're ever interested in doing something like that Absolutely. i would totally be down for that because you bring a lot to the table and i think the conversations are super interesting the fact that we almost um went away it's like uh we're closing on two hours before we even recorded. I was like, "Oh shit, I got a leg." Were we really? But, yeah. I like, hadn't even checked my phone. Yeah, I'm, like, we, so we, we were. Time. We were. We were cooking the conversation beforehand, and obviously, uh, that's part of the cool part is you get to reconnect people and have conversations off air yeah. and then on air too. So I think it's as a as a host, I think it's the coolest thing in the world to get to see people be themselves and talk Absolutely. about shit they like. And I, I appreciate you for coming on the podcast and talking about your life the way you have. So thank you. Thank you for you guys. If you guys like the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with your grandma. Check out thecarolconnection.simplecast.com. Also available Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the major listening platforms. If you like to watch your podcast, go on YouTube, search The Carol Connection, or at Jared M. Carroll, and it'll pop up right for you. And if you want to be a guest or return as a guest, hit me up on Instagram, at Jared M. Carroll, or at The Carol Connection, and we'll set that up. So, until next time, guys, peace. Peace.